guys, welcome to the podcast, The Trailblazer's Journey, the place to be if you have a curiosity about life and the world in which we live today and are passionate about personal growth and self-development. I'm your host, Saima Majid, transformational life coach, holistic personal trainer and speaker. In today's episode, I speak to Dr. Tim Zelstra, who refers to himself as an accidental librarian. Tim is actually a library experience and skills manager at the University of Derby. In this episode, we speak about libraries as being safe, inclusive spaces where people can go for connection and belonging. However, sadly, a resource which has rapidly been taken away from communities over the last few years. Tim is also a proud ally and role model for the Equality, Diversity, Inclusion and Wellbeing Group and has been heavily involved in the progress of the LGBTQ community in Derby. I look forward to sharing this episode with you guys and if you do enjoy, please subscribe, rate and review. Give us a quick intro about who you are, what you do, what you're about. Yeah, so I'm uh, Dr. Tim Zalstra. Um, I have a slight accent because I'm originally from the Netherlands, from the north of the Netherlands, a place called Friesland. Um, and I am the Library Experience and Skills Manager for the University of Derby. So my current role is looking at improving the library experience for our students and on top of that improving their ability to achieve academically by giving them skills training, giving them opportunities to improve mm-hmm. their skills. A really broad, varied role but very interesting. Excellent. So how long have you worked in libraries and in sort of what capacity, how did it start? And yeah. Um, so when I was, um, well I'll go straight back to the beginning. Um, I scraped into a polytechnic in the Netherlands and mm-hmm. wanted to do international business school and failed miserably uh, for various reasons. And then I thought, oh, well, it's all right, I'll go to uh, further education to college and I'll do information technology. And I didn't like it at all, so I failed at that. And then <laughs> I sort of was looking for something to do. So I went back to the Polytechnic and said, we'll never have you back because you've been terrible. Um, and I said, well, please, can you not find some course that you want me to do? And they said, well, you we want me got. to do? Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> you basically anything, anything you've got, I will do. <laughs> okay. um, so I ended up doing, uh, they call it Information Service and Management, which was the, uh, prior known as the uh, Library Academy okay. in the Netherlands. So I actually was taught by librarians about libraries, but with a more trendy name, if you like. Um, and actually I discovered I really liked it, I got a real feel for Handy. it. Handy. Yes. Uh, and my mentor, my personal tutor at the time was a lady, lovely lady called Pieter Schaap who had decades of experience in libraries. And she said, you know what, I think you'd be really good in libraries, I think that's where you need to focus. Mm. So we could, I could have become like an information specialist or uh, whatever sort of role was available at the time. And she pushed me to public libraries. So what she did was tell me that I had to do my final year placement in a public library uh, with a friend of hers who was the director of the library. And I did that 
and absolutely loved it. I was really in my element, I loved what I was doing, the engagement with people, um, the, the principles of library were really evident there as well. So the things that made libraries important were really important to the director at the time that I worked for. Which are? Um, so it's about being publicly accessible and engageable. Mm -hmm. So you need to have um, the philosophy that you're open to everybody if you like. It's about providing information to people that might not otherwise have found it. Mm -hmm. So being very knowledgeable about what the information is where and providing it. And it's about providing opportunity for people to get together, to learn, to actually learn more about the world. So in a way it's an educational institution, whether it's a public mm. library or anything else. But actually libraries way back when were set up as a community learning facility. So the original libraries, public libraries, were designed as an opportunity for the working class or whatever you want to call it to engage with books and learn about the world and become more knowledgeable um, and in a way if you if you want to make it philosophical that's the foundation of democracy as well so the idea that you actually make people knowledgeable about the environment yeah. pull them out of the you know the day-to-day -day struggle yes. if you like knowledge is power yes exactly mm. yeah um and that, that principle if you like has appealed to me enormously so when i did that here it was really great i loved it um, and then I decided I wanted to be a public librarian and this was in 2003, 4 I think um, and that was at the time that all the public libraries in the Netherlands started to close down, certainly the smaller ones, yeah. uh, they will start to deprofessionalize, so librarians always have this issue about not being considered professionals, okay. we think we are professionals but the world doesn't see us as professionals, um, so a lot of libraries in the Netherlands became volunteering based uh, Why were they closing down? Because they were too expensive to, okay. to keep going. Right, and of so course, similar to what's happened here. Exactly, that's yeah. what we've seen here in the last mm. 10 years. The same thing's happened here. Um, so I couldn't become a public librarian to my great frustration. So I worked as a local librarian for about two years, working in different libraries all over the province of Groningen. Um, which is also in the north of the Netherlands, was really good fun uh, covering people that were on maternity leave, long-term sick, just on holiday, stuff like that. So I must have worked at, in two years in about 20 different public libraries. Right, and this is still in the Netherlands? And this was still in the Netherlands. So there were villages with 500 people where there was a small, tiny public library to a city library with 200,000 subscribers. So really varied and really engaging, but I couldn't get a permanent role there. So I started looking around and I had a really strong contact in a town called Hoogsand, uh, the public librarian there, and she said you need to apply at the school, they're looking for a school librarian, secondary school, and I think you'll love it and we'll work together, we'll develop the service, it'll be great. So I did, and I got the job, mm -hmm. and it wasn't great. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so my uh, predecessor, I loved being in the school, don't get me wrong, being a school yes. librarian was fantastic. Um, and you have your own library, so you can make it your own, and you can really put your stamp on it. But unfortunately, my predecessor turned out to be uh, an elderly lady who was very racist, and 30% of the pupils wow. were from Turkish or Moroccan background, and uh, she literally banned them from the library. Ooh. And when she did that, the director went, you can't do that, they had a big argument. Mm -hmm. The volunteering librarian left uh, under a cloud of mystery, if you like, uh, and then I got the job without realising any of the background. And it turned right. out that 14 uh, parents were volunteering, and a lot of those had similar views to of the world as the previous librarian so I had a big job in sorting that out turning that round turning it around yeah which was um, rewarding because I think I did turn it around in the end 
Um, but it was also really challenging. I was only yeah. 26 years old. I was working with parents of pupils who, you know, they'd been related to that school somehow, some of them for 10, 12 years. And I came in and told them what to do as a young man. Mm. And they didn't take like that it. very like, mm. no, no. Um, Yeah, mm. but a very rewarding experience. And so. so in the end, it became much more diverse. Yes, and yeah. so the first thing I did was say, we're not having any of that nonsense. I'm not interested in that. It's not about who I am, or what I want school yeah. to be. So we're not doing that. It doesn't match the school values, which was pretty obvious. Um, the other thing I did, um, the previous librarian was a what I call a shushing librarian. So her favourite hobby was going, shh, shh, and I'm not. I'm very open yeah. and loud and, and brash, if you like. So yeah. I wanted to change. So you the made culture. it more mm. cool. Yeah. So yeah, I don't want to call myself cool. But yeah. Um, so within, I think a month, I actually brought the radio in. And some of the volunteers hated that, but the pupils actually in the it. library. Yeah, because the pupils were asking for it because no they said it's always this. There's noise. There's noise in the background. But it's background. So I want to concentrate. I'd rather listen to you know Radio One or whatever they listened to at the time. Yeah. So I introduced that. Um, I made sure that the students felt the pupils at the time felt confident coming into the library, felt comfortable coming into the library. And that had all sorts of, I would say, unintended consequences. I wasn't aware what that was going to do. So over time, because it was a safe haven and it's where the pupils wanted to be, uh, what I began to notice was that certain pupils were in the library a lot. Okay. And it wasn't the pupils I would expect to be in the library. Right. So it wasn't the high achievers, if you like, that wanted yeah. to you know, do the schoolwork yeah. and all that. It tended to be the kids that had problems at home, okay. that had issues in general that were being bullied in school and stuff like that. So that was really interesting for me to notice that because I believe in the philosophy of the library being a safe, publicly accessible place, but I didn't see it as a place where people with, I would say, well-being issues in yeah. general would go to feel comfortable and actually yes. I learned a lot of that in that time as well. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a bit later, but for example, uh, kids that were struggling with their sexuality yes. felt safe in the library, so they would actually gather in the library as well. And it's things like that where now, about 14, 15 years on, and I'm a lot further in my career, those principles that I learned in that school library still stand very strongly for me. I, I can imagine. Yeah, so mm. it's, it's really important for me to make sure that the library is a welcoming and comforting space that people want to be in, but I also have a very strong agenda on seeing the library as a space where well-being is nurtured. Yeah, I think that's um, a great idea because yeah. also reading is so good for the soul, exactly. you know, yeah. and for your mind. Yeah, yeah. So I think it goes hand in hand. And I think that's really interesting what you said about you created that safe haven because, you know, I've had conversations with friends about, say, for example, events where events where people go and they don't interact with each other, mm. they don't feel comfortable, they stand alone, you, you know, they're standing alone, it's very cliquey. Yeah. And I've always believed that you have to set the conditions for people yes. to come in and feel comfortable. Yeah. So there's an energy, a vibe yeah. uh, what, that makes them feel comfortable straight away. And as an organiser, as the leader, as the person in charge, I think it's your responsibility yeah. Yeah. to create that. And you've yeah. you've created that in the yeah. library. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You have to set the tone for that yeah. to work. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that can just change change who comes in the energy the vibe everything so exactly. i think that's fantastic so i think tim previously we vaguely touched upon the fact that libraries are once the hub of the community mm. and i was telling you that um my dad when we were kids 
um, used to take us to the library a little bit forcefully if <laughs> <Yeah>. we <laughs> didn't have a choice but we'd go there my dad would read the newspaper for hours and we would have to read And but it was also a place for my dad to interact with his friends yeah. and then um, as we got older he stopped going to the library but in retirement he's back at the library and mm. he's reconnected yeah. and I thought it was really interesting when we were talking about the library being a hub in the community where people can sort of hang out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, let's have your sort of uh, views on that and just yeah. you know expand on that. Yeah. So if you think about the modern eighties, like what people say is wrong with modern times, and I don't necessarily subscribe to this being new or anything to do with the modern times. That's an aside. Mm. But um, if you, we we now have more and more attention for people being lonely, for example. Yes. And a library should be a place where even if you are lonely, you can go interact with people, have a cup of coffee, read a book, read a newspaper, whatever you want to mm. do. Um, and in that sense, we we seem to be losing those spaces where you can do yeah. that. So um, in a way, we're trying to make everything safe, right? Everything has to be closed down and confined in a controllable environment mm. and we can't have anything weird going on in that environment. Whereas that, that sort of breaks with the library tradition of old where you could go into a library and the staff would make sure it was safe, mm. but you could do whatever you wanted in that space. You were allowed to express yourself. You were allowed to engage with people in the library. So one example I'll never forget is um, I worked in a public library in Groningen, which was in a small town, 10,000 people. And we had a customer coming in, I call them patrons, which is a very old fashioned term. But he used to come in uh, at the end of the day and he was on the autistic spectrum, mm. quite severely autistic. Yeah. And he would actually um, not be able to communicate. He would always say something about pictures, pictures. And we never knew what that meant. And it took yeah. weeks to work out what he meant because one of the other patrons said, so we showed him kids' books and stuff like that. He and how old was he? He must have been in his 20s, I think. 20s, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't interested in the kids' books, you know, the picture books and uh, the, the, the little, uh, what you call it, the little caterpillar and all that. He didn't want any of that. So then a lady who uh, happened to know him, I think, sort of in passing, said, I think he means pictures of ladies. Um, and we were like, ah, we don't really do that here. Um, so what I did instead was show him the uh, art books. Yeah. Paintings, you know, with yeah. women in in. Uh, that's very civilized. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but that's he could do that. He felt safe in that environment yeah. to do that. So even with his condition, yeah. he didn't feel like he was being challenged to be normal or anything like that. Yeah, he, could be he himself. felt really natural and yeah. sort of just um, comfortable expressing himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's really powerful. Mm, yeah, mm. yeah, and it's something that we're beginning to lose, and I, I'm really worried about losing that. So even me, myself, I work in libraries, so I don't necessarily have a need to, but I never go to a public library anymore. No, I, no, I haven't I been go? to a library for years. No, and I don't actually have a need to either. No. Because I've got all the books I want at home, I've got more books in my uh, collection at home than I have in my library in Chesterfield, so I don't need to worry about that. I don't really have that need to go and engage with people. But the problem with that is that just because I don't have that need, doesn't mean that someone like your father or like this lad in the library in South Holland doesn't have that need. So even though we talk about a very small part of the population that might want to go to the library to engage with mm. people, to connect with people, 
that's still a very valid part of the population. It's like the forgotten part Absolutely. of the population. Absolutely, I agree. And the thing is, sometimes you don't think you've got, got a need for something until you actually do it. And exactly. then you think, oh, actually, yeah. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I really got a lot out of that experience. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think just having them there, and actually, when I did used to go to the library, this was after my dad used to make us go, <laughs> when I used to go out of my own free will, I loved going to the library. Mm. I loved going to the library. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's such a shame. And especially with our local library, because there's so much character that had so much character. Yeah. Yeah. And it's gone, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, so that's actually what I wanted to ask you, mm. because... Obviously, like me personally, if I want a book, I order it on Amazon Prime. It's with me the next day. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's sort of the downfall of us. It, it, yeah. You know, on the one hand, it's great to read, but on the, you know, on, on the other hand, it's so accessible. Yeah. And I think what I wanted to ask you is how you feel about this whole shift to audiobooks mm. as well and the loss of sort of, um, you know, paper books. Yeah. So this is... Um a complex issue because what I mentioned before with the professionalism of a librarian is that a librarian's role in the past was to form a collection for the good of the community. Yeah. Like. So a public librarian would make sure there was a collection that was suitable for the community around it. So when I worked in a really small village with lots of farmers around it, mm-hmm. a lot of the collection would be about making agricultural machines work or you know biology and all that sort of stuff. Whereas in the city library you'd have more on sociology and philosophy and things like that. Um, and that's, that value of professionalism is diminished by the rise of accessible information. Mm-hmm. So we now have way more access to information than we ever had before. Yeah. So that's one point to make. Um, I think librarians still have a very big role to play in guiding people, navigating all that information. Yeah. So, like I said, it's really easy to go on Amazon Prime and order a book and boom, you've got it. Yeah. Uh, Just like it's easy to go on social media and follow someone and then get information that way. But the knowledge, if you like, that librarians bring actually explains what you should be following and who you should be following. Yeah, you're right, actually. Yeah. yeah. So it's this concept of information literacy. It's understanding information, mm. engaging with information in an appropriate way, and not just believing everything that comes your way and being able to filter that. And the librarian used to do that for you. Yeah. And now our role has changed to actually being sort of a, a shepherd or whatever to help you guide through that. that or just, place. we're all sort of trying to figure it out ourselves. Mm. Or like yeah. you say, just believe we what think, we're talking. We think we know. Yeah. And that's the biggest problem. Yeah. Yeah. So in my new role or my current role, with first year students, you see that if they have to write an essay, what they do, I call them the googly students because all they do is go online, <laughs> they yeah. Google something, they put it in the They're like me. Yeah. Uh, oh, hey, I've got my essay done. No, yeah. You've no, no, and I ain't got enough information. Yeah. But because you've gone on Google, you think you'd be really yeah. bright, right? Um, so that's an issue. Having the googly that, students. Yeah, like googly that. students, yeah. Um, so that's an issue, but on the on top of that there's also a real benefit to it so the fact that you can access all this information yeah. is incredible it's wonderful it's like a huge playground of opportunity um, so one of the reasons I did my masters in uh, Sheffield was because when I was um, this is a pure coincidental a second-hand bookstore in Groningen had a book by uh, a guy called David J. Skirm and it talked about hybrid management and I picked it up just out of sort of I wanted something to read and it mm. seemed interesting 
and it was mind-blowing and this guy was a lecturer in Sheffield at the time so I knew about the high school in Sheffield when I applied there because I read this book that I accidentally picked up right. in a second-hand bookstore these days you can get that information even easier right so it's actually a lot easier to find people that inspire you that make you want to you know pick up stuff and do things and actually achieve something yourself mm. and that's really powerful and I don't think yeah. you should dismiss that yeah, I just feel sometimes there's just too much information. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm one of those people, you know, I'm like a kid in a candy store, I want to learn about everything. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, it's better to learn about a few things properly than want to learn about everything. Yeah. You know, yeah, but there's absolutely. so much out there now, yeah. Yeah. and you want a piece of all of it. And I yeah. think sometimes, oh, I wish I didn't have the access to all this information. No. Because it made my life a whole lot easier. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's actually changing the way that we do things as well. So our, um, I strongly believe that there's a, a shift in our cognitive abilities. And that sounds pretty grandiose, but all I mean with that is that in the past, you would have a job for life, you become a specialist in yes. a particular job. These days we see that we're much more broad in the Absolutely. way that we interpret things. Yes. And that's because there's a lot more information for yeah. So we can actually be those kids in the playground and pick all these different bits yes. and pieces that we want to do. And also with the rise of like um, you know self-employment and people sort of following their dreams, you yeah. know, um, you are able now not to just have one um, specialism to mm. like be a specialist of a few different things. Yeah. You know, um, so yeah, that's I guess things have changed massively. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I wanted to move on to another area of work you've been very involved um, in is um, with the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Very different to libraries. Is it? Is it? <laughs> um, it is and it isn't. So when I at the start of the podcast talk about these values of the library yes. and actually um, tolerating everybody coming into the library and having uh, those values yes. of tolerance I think are really important. Yes. Um, so I've always been quite passionate in a way about standing up for people and these days we call it an ally, uh, being an ally for people who yeah. have different backgrounds and things like that. Um, so yeah, that's where that has come from. I think it's actually hand in hand. I think it's really right. related to each other. Okay. Yeah. So how? D- so when did you first get involved? So um, I think I became aware of it when I worked at secondary school, um, when I realized that kids were being picked on because they were of Turkish descent Mm. or because they were gay or because they had weird hair or because whatever it was that made them stand out would be something that other kids would focus on. Um, And that would um, create that sense of otherness I think is the word otherness. Yeah, otherness. Yeah, yes, my pronunciation is terrible yeah. because I'm Dutch, but um, it's that standing out from the crowd because you are different. Yeah. And if you are there, it's so easy to be picked on. Yes. So you need someone else, someone probably a bit stronger than you, to stand up for you and go, hang on, you know, let them play with you or learn together yeah. or do something together. Um, so one story that relates to an anecdote, and I won't go into too many details because it was quite tragic. But there was a boy who was always in the library and he was a lovely kid uh, and he was gay but he hadn't told anybody and he was being picked on all the time because he uh, was half filipino as well Mm -hmm. so he was smaller dutch people are tall Mm -hmm. he was a very small boy he was only about i don't know five foot now not even five foot 
So everybody picked on him because he was different. He had a different uh, uh, skin color. Mm. He was gay, but he didn't. He wasn't open gay, but they just sensed that he was different yeah. in that sense. Um, and he was always in the library, and I engaged with him a lot. You know, I, I became his mentor in a way. I was actually asked by a, a teacher to look after him as well because the teacher came where he was spending a lot of time in the library. Um, and this boy one day opened up about the fact that he was gay yeah. and he didn't know how to tell anyone, including right. his parents, because right. his father was an alcoholic, his mum had died, it was all really tragic and he didn't know what to do with it. Um, and I actually, I didn't know what to do. Right? right. When you get someone telling you something that important, that big in their life, how do you respond to that? So um, what they actually did was, uh, I got to know the Iman in uh, Imam, Imam yes. in uh, Hoogstrand because there was a big Turkish population right. and we talked about all sorts of stuff just like these days I would talk to chaplains in the university and I asked him for advice and he said well he's gonna have to make a decision on this either he does something with it or he doesn't do something with it he's got to make a decision on where he wants to be in his life he's got to see beyond being this 15, 16 year old right. and actually open up his world by either acknowledging it and being open about it or whatever. And then the man said, you know what, I'm going to put him on the boxing class because I'm running a box at boxing mm. class for the Turkish kids and it's actually the Turkish kids that were picking on this boy quite a lot. Right. If they box together they can't pick on each other because they won't tolerate it. Yeah. So this boy went to the boxing class and told on the first session without being prompted or anything told everybody I'm gay and everyone went oh well that's fine come on let's go and box and that's changed his life and oh, that wow. was such a powerful you know thing to have happened yeah and all I had to do was talk to someone get that was so easy advice. yeah well was well, it? For, for, <laughs> you know yeah. no, but from from sort of what you've described you know yeah. the dilemma to then actually just yeah. saying that and being accepted yeah because yeah. I wasn't expecting you to say that they just accept it. No, but it is. Once they actually understood what was going on, yeah. it was open about it. Well, that's fine. Why didn't you tell us? You know, we always knew you were different. We always knew you were weird. You should have just told us, and then it would have been fine. So, wow! So that's yeah. a happy ending. Yeah, I do Amazing. think that the man being there helped a bit. But, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So mm -hmm. what? What like? Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that the LGBTQ community face here mm. in the work that you're doing here in Derby? Yeah, so um, I think the biggest problem we have is a misunderstanding. Mm. Um, so quite recently um, I dealt with an incident with students where a student had put something on a WhatsApp group that was deeply um, insulting. To, right. to one of the people in this group. It was a big group, lots of students in there, and it was targeted, right? The person who it was targeted knew that it was meant for, uh, for them. Right. So, trying to work out what had gone on, and this ended up with all sorts of um, 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 involvement, if you like, of the academics and all that. But trying to work out what had gone on is that the person who posted it simply didn't realize how hurting it was what they did right um, so a bit of ignorance going on yeah mm. i think it comes from a mm. sense of ignorance mm. in a way and it's that if you don't understand what someone else is going through you can't relate to it mm. then it seems like a silly little joke right yes right? absolutely well it isn't a silly little joke. no not to the recipient exactly yes it impacts on the person who receives yes. it um and you see that quite a lot so it's this 
there's sometimes it's accidental, yeah. right? Just an unawareness. And sometimes it's like, oh, I'm sure they'll put up with it if I say something stupid. And if that happens often enough, if you as one person do it once, that's fine. But the recipient might have heard that same stupid thing yes. 15 times in a week and be like, I'm really fed up. Why are they picking on me because I'm different? You know? Yes. Um, so that, I think, is at the foundation of it. It's just a lot of ignorance. Um, and I also think that there's a lot of misunderstanding of what it means, because actually, the, whether I'm uh, homosexual, heterosexual, bisexual, whether I'm uh, confused about my gender, it doesn't change who I am. Yes. It doesn't make me different. Yes. It's just that I am not sure what I want to do, or it means that I, I um, fancy someone of the same sex as me, yes. but it doesn't actually matter. Yeah. But people see it as being weird because they don't understand why you would. Mm. Uh, it's really interesting what you said about that um, you know what is a joke to one person mm. and especially like I think where um, communities are marginalised and they've probably had to deal just to survive yeah. you know yeah. they've had to probably deal with so much yeah. and then on top of that like someone's immaturity Mm -hmm. um, it really is painful and it can mm -hmm. evoke a lot of um, pain yeah. in people yeah. Yeah, you know and I think that's, some, that's an area that really needs to be sort of sorted out mm -hmm. because there's a lot of very um, I, I've had it I've mm -hmm. had it as a you know ethnic minority I've had yeah. it where people have just thought oh it's alright to say that yeah. but actually no, no it's, it's not, not okay no. and it's yeah, yeah. so um, you know, like in um, uh, so in the students that you're that you're working with, um, how easy is it for um, them to sort of feel accepted? So I like to think that I think there's two points there. I think in terms of awareness to combat that ignorance, we're actually making great strides. Yes. So we're becoming a lot more aware of people having different backgrounds, being from a different sexuality or gender or whatever it is. That doesn't matter that much to most people anymore. So I think oh, really? that, I That's think progress. So. Mm, I think so. Yeah. I might be wrong, right? But I think because we're becoming more aware, we're highlighting it more as well. And, and are you finding that in the ethnic minorities as well? I think so, but again, mm. you know, I can't identify because I'm yeah. gay or I'm not an ethnic minority. Well, I suppose I am because I don't think there's that many Dutch people in the UK. <laughs> um, but the, my impression is that at the moment, because there's so much attention on it, yeah. it's getting better. Right. So one of the things that we did at this university that I was actively involved with this year was that, um, sponsoring all the Pride events in Derby. Yes, so, I did notice actually. Yeah, so yeah. we sponsored the Chesterfield Pride, which was the first one, yeah. the Derby Pride, and then um, a wonderful colleague, Sarah Bally Mullen, organised and made sure we sponsored the Belper Pride as well. And I went to the Chesterfield Pride, and I've never been to a Pride before. Yeah. I never had one in the area, and I never really felt drawn to it. And my mind was expanded so rapidly, because yeah. there were people there... Of course, you get your LGBTQ community yes. there, but there were people there that I would never have expected yeah. to be there, from all backgrounds, from the yeah. whole Chesterfield, that really engaged with it. Because it's fun. Time. Exactly, yeah, they had fun. It's just fun. Yeah, and yeah. they accepted where they were and with whom they were. Yeah. And I think that is so powerful. And the more that we do to make people aware and give people opportunity to engage with that community, with people who feel different, feel other, 
the better it becomes, yeah. but it's a struggle getting there, and um, that struggle is real. You know, yeah. we do still have incidents that we shouldn't have. We do still come across people who are just blinded by their own ignorance and the way that they have been raised, and feel it's absolutely fine to use derogatory term, derogatory yeah. terms about yeah. people. Um, and we need to combat that. The only way forward is to keep saying, you know what, that's a bit thick. I don't know why you said that. Yeah. And if we keep saying that, then hopefully we'll move forward. Okay. Yeah. But and um, because um, obviously you know that I um, uh, with all this sort of education in schools that they're teaching, mm. there's been quite a lot of uproar about that. Yeah, we talked so, about Birmingham here. <laughs> I didn't want a, a no. pinpoint. Yeah. How do you what what are your thoughts on that? So I had a, a very interesting debate with Sarah about this, uh, and also uh, with Fiona Shelton, our dean of students, who's also a great campaigner. Um, I actually think, I believe in the right to protest, right? Yeah, so okay. let's begin there. So I believe that if you think something is wrong, you should be able to say it. Because if you aren't able to say it, how do I know that I need to educate you? Yeah, right. Right? Right. So I think that situation proves that we still have a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it also means that, in a way, people have a right to scrutinize what goes on with these things. Mm -hmm. And if we are teaching kids about being different, being other, it doesn't actually matter, then we need to be open to that scrutiny. Why would we hide away from that? Right. So I think that is really important. If you get challenged on something, you need to stand your ground and say, I'm doing this for the right reasons, yeah. and explain what those reasons are. Mm -hmm. And that way you get a dialogue that is more productive. Um, what I don't approve of is, and I think this has happened, I'm not sure, but actually scaring kids, you know, yeah. you're outside the school, show some respect, let these kids be kids, you know, they're under whatever age it is, they don't have that same understanding of the world. Why would you enforce your anger on the children that are involved in that? Mm. Especially knowing that a significant proportion of them will end up identifying as gay or transgender or bisexual or whatever it is. So I think that is where there's a very fine line that we need to be very careful as society not to keep crossing that fine line because we're still saying it's not right. Like, see, it is right. No, it's not right. It's, mm. And that, that creates that confusion that makes it difficult for people to come out and to actually explain who they are and what they want to be. So if you're someone who is uh, battling with your um, sexuality mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you don't have the right support system, mm -hmm. what do you do? Yeah, <laughs> that's a really good question. <laughs> I think at that point you need to choose to find the right system. So um, I went to a brilliant workshop last Tuesday by a lady called Muna Abdi. Um, she's an educational uh, consultant who talks about allyship. So mm -hmm. she goes into schools to talk about allyship, what does it mean? Um, and she says that the only way that you can be an ally is to enforce action. Okay. Right? So you need to, if you're calling yourself an ally but you're not protecting someone from abuse, for example, you're not an ally, you're doing it wrong, you're actually maintaining the status quo. But she also acknowledges that being an ally is extremely difficult and a lot of people fall out with you because you stand for something, for a principle. Yes. Um, and I think there's something in there as well for people who identify as, for example, being gay. Sometimes you need to accept that your background doesn't tolerate it and you need to move on from that background and that's really difficult. That's difficult. Yeah, that is so difficult. If you want to be yourself, 
don't rely on you know where you've come from rely on where you're going to be that's like that example that I gave with the boy in the school as well what the man said is he needs to know where he wants to be he needs to stop looking where he is now yeah. you need to move forward to make that positive decision yes. once you do that then your environment will change you will get that support structure in place as well yeah that's it's just such a such a that's what i find most heartbreaking yeah. about it all is yeah. the fact that yeah. it's either or yeah you know yeah. it's yeah. like for a lot of people you know yeah. why can't you have it all know. you know, know. um yeah, yeah. Not fair, i, think, I know i know yeah. so do, do you think that you know for 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 i guess the minorities who cultural i'm talking culturally who maybe have a way to go yet mm -hmm. do you think that things will change i believe so and i want to believe so um I, i'm reminded of um we had in sheffield there's a large population of roma immigrants um and they've come from slovakia whatever yeah. it is and i had an interaction with a girl um I can't even remember how it came about. It was a University of Sheffield event where they got voices of different people. You could go and talk to people of different ethnicities and all that. Yeah. And I talked to her. She was only 15, 16, and she'd grown up in Slovakia, moved to Sheffield. And we just got chatting, and her English wasn't great. And she asked me what I did, and I said, well, I'm a researcher at the University of Sheffield, and I do this and I do that. And then um, as we were talking, you could see her go, Hang on, I could work at the university. I could actually achieve that. I could actually aspire to that. Yeah. And that's what we need to get yeah. people out of that closed background, if you like. Role models, then. Having role models. Yeah, it's always yeah. the answer. It's yeah. always, yeah. we always come down yeah. to that. Yeah, and actually being a role model. I think yeah. it's really important to be approachable about these things and actually sharing your stories with people. Yes, well. there's so yeah. much power in sharing yeah. stories. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Well, thank you, Tim. That was amazing. You're welcome. Yeah. I, I hope I didn't ramble too much. I feel like I might have rambled a bit. <laughs> no, you didn't ramble at all. You didn't ramble at all. Okay. It was really informative. And um, I absolutely love the work that you're doing with the LGBTQ um, community and the libraries, actually. Yeah. yeah no, it's fantastic. Yeah. And it links together. It's important. Absolutely. Yeah, because you are creating a well-being space in... Darby, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, we're certainly working towards it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we'll end up calling it a well-being space. I don't think we will. It's just the philosophy of well-being is becoming more and more important. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you thank for your time. You. It's been wonderful. Thank you. So that was Dr. Tim Zelstra from the University of Derby. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate and review. And to keep up to date with all of our events and ventures, please follow our page, The Trailblazers Journey on Instagram. I look forward to bringing you more fabulous guests in the future. So until next time, guys.